Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Season two is A Practical Treatise of Fear by John Flavel. Number three. And if indeed, reader, thy constitution be so delicate and tender that thou art not able to bear the thoughts of torments for Christ, how is it that thou art not more terrified with the torments of hell, which all they that deny Christ on earth must feel and bear eternally? Oh, what is the wrath of man in comparison with the wrath of God? But as the bite of a flea to the rendings of a lion. This is the consideration propounded by Christ in Matthew 10.28. Fear not them who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The infinite and insupportable wrath of the great and terrible God should make our souls shrink and shake at the thoughts of it, rather than the sufferings of the flesh, which are but for a moment. Number four, know that the wisdom and tenderness of thy father will proportion the burden thou must bear to thy back that must bear it. He will debate in measure and not overload thy feeble shoulders. Thou shalt find those things easy in trial that now seem insupportable in the terrible prospect. A way of escape or support will certainly be open that thou mayest be able to bear it. Plea number three. But others plead the sad experiences they have had of their own feebleness and weakness in former trials and exercises of an inferior nature in which their faith and patience hath failed them. And how can they imagine they shall ever be able to stand in the fiercest and most fiery trial. If we have run with the footmen and they have wearied us in the land of peace, how shall we then contend with horses in the swellings of Jordan? Jeremiah 12.5 Answer number one. We are strong or weak in all our trials, be they great or small, according to the assisting grace we receive from above. If he leave us in a common and light trial to our own strength, it will be our overmatch. And if he assist us in great and extraordinary trials, we shall be more than conquerors. At one time, Abraham could offer up his only son to God with his own hand. At another time, he is so afraid of his life that he acts very unsuitably to the character of a believer and was shamefully rebuked for it by Abimelech. At one time, David could say, though an host encamp against me, I will not fear. At another time, he feigns himself mad and acted beneath himself, both as a man and as a man enriched with so much faith and experience. At one time, Peter is afraid to be interrogated by a maid. At another time, he could boldly confront the whole council and own Christ and his truths to their faces. In extraordinary trials, 
we may warrantably expect extraordinary assistances, and by them we shall be carried through the greatest, how often soever we have failed in smaller trials. Number two, the design and end of God's giving us experience of our own weakness in lesser troubles is not to discourage and daunt us against we come to greater, which is the use Satan here makes of it, but to take us off from self-confidence and self-dependence, to make us see our own weakness, that we may more heartily and humbly betake ourselves to him in the way of faith and fervent supplication. Plea number four. But some will object that they cannot help their fears and tremblings when any danger appears because fear is the disease, at least the sad effect and symptom of disease, with which God hath wounded them. A deep and fixed melancholy hath so far prevailed that the least trouble overcomes them. If any sad, afflictive providence befall or but threaten them, their fears presently rise and their hearts sink. Sleep departs, thoughts tumultuate, the blood boils and the whole frame of nature is put into disorder. If therefore the Lord should permit such great and dreadful trials to befall them, they can think of nothing less than dying by the hand of their own fears, before the hand of any enemy touch them, or which is a thousand times worse, be driven by their own fears into the net of temptation, even to deny the Lord that bought them. Answer. This I know is the sad case of many gracious persons, and I have reason to pity those that are thus exercised. Oh, it is a heavy stroke, a dismal state, a deep wound indeed. But yet the wisdom of God hath ordered this affliction upon his people for gracious ends and uses. Hereby they are made the more tender and watchful, circumspect and careful in their ways that they may shun and escape as many occasions of trouble as they can being so unable to grapple with them. I say not, but there are higher and nobler motives that make them circumspect and tender, but yet the preservation of our own quietness is useful in its place, and it is a mercy if that or anything else be sanctified to prevent sin and promote care of duty. This is your clog to keep you from straying. Number two, and when you shall be called forth to greater trials, that which you now call your snare may be your advantage, and that in diverse respects, one, these very distempers of body and mind serve to embitter the comforts and pleasures of this world to you, and make life itself less desirable to you than it is to others. They much wean your hearts from and make life more burdensome to you than it is to others who enjoy more of the pleasure and sweetness of it than you can do. I have often thought this to be one design and end of providence in permitting such distempers to seize so many gracious persons as labor under them 
And providence knows how to make use of this effect to singular purpose and advantage to you when a call to suffering shall come. This may have its place and use under higher and more spiritual considerations. To to facilitate death and make your separation from this world the more easy to you. For though it be a more noble and raised act of faith and self-denial to offer up to God our lives, when they are made most pleasant and desirable to us upon natural accounts, yet it is not so easy to part with them as it is when God hath first embittered them to us. Your lives are of little value to you now because of this burdensome clog you must draw after you. But if you should increase your burden by so horrid an addition of guilt, as the denying Christ or his known truths would do, you would not know what to do with such a life. It would certainly lie upon your hands as a burthen. God knows how to use these things in the way of his providence to your great advantage. 2. Art thou a poor, melancholy, and timorous person? Certainly, if thou be gracious as well as timorous, this will drive thee nearer to God. And the greater thy dangers are, the more frequent and fervent will thy addresses to him be. Thou feelest the need of everlasting arms underneath thee to bear thee up under and to carry thee through smaller troubles that other persons make nothing of, much more in such deep trials that put the strongest Christians to the utmost of their faith and patience. And thirdly, what if the Lord will make an advantage out of your weakness to display more evidently his own power in your support? You know what the apostle sayest, 1 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then am I strong. If his infirmities might serve as a foil to set off the grace of God with a more bright and sparkling luster, He would rejoice in his infirmities, and so should you. Well then, let not this discourage you. The infirmity of nature you complain of may make death the less terrible. It served to that purpose to blessed Basil, as you heard before, when his enemy threatened to tear out his liver. He thought it a kindness to have that liver torn out that had given him so much trouble. It may drive thee nearer to God and minister a fit opportunity for the display of his grace in the time of need. Plea 5. But what if God should hide his face from my soul in the day of my straits and troubles? And not only so, but permit Satan to buffet me with his horrid temptations and injections, and so... I should sail like the ship in which Paul sailed betwixt these two boisterous seas. What can I suspect less than a shipwreck of my soul, body, and all the comforts of both in this world and in that to come? Answer number one. 
So far as the fears of such a misery awaken you to pray for the prevention of it, it may be serviceable to your souls. But when it only works distraction and despondency of mind, it is your sin and Satan's snare. The prophet Jeremiah made a good use of such a supposed evil by way of deprecation. Jeremiah 17, 17. Be not a terror unto me. Thou art my hope in the day of evil. QD. In the evil day, I have no place of retreat or refuge. But thy love and favor, Lord, that is all I have to depend on and relieve myself by. I comfort myself against trouble with this confidence that if men be cruel, yet thou wilt be kind. If they frown, thou wilt smile. If the world cast me out, then wilt thou wilt take me in. But if thou shouldst be a terror to me instead of a comforter, if they afflict my body and thou affright my soul with thy frowns too, what a deplorable condition shall I be in then? Improve it to such an end as he did to secure the favor of God, and it will do you no harm. This concludes part 27 of John Flavel's A Practical Treatise of Fear.